0: cars are going to drive themselves in the future Uh, humans don't have a role in that and uh, although it's a little controversial uh, if you go out a couple of decades we will not be allowed to drive cars it'll be illegal the same way as it is uh, to ride a horse down a highway here in california you won't be able to drive a car
1: this is a comment from jonathan reichenthal the former chief information officer for the city of palo alto and the author of smart cities for dummies taken from our previous episode looking at smart cities. We were curious to know more about how far away we are from a future where we never have to drive again, or potentially a future where we're not allowed to drive at all. Hi, my name's Sam Gear, and you're listening to Brainspike Back, your podcast exploring the intersection between psychology and technology. To do this, we invited a number of experts on the show to share their thoughts on this topic. In this episode, we are joined by an automotive journalist An author that breaks down the five different levels of autonomous vehicles. Elon Musk comments at last year's World Artificial Intelligence Conference, and he also explains how far he really thinks Tesla and other companies are from full autonomy. Another automotive journalist joins us to highlight what countries are leading the way for autonomous vehicle technology, and how consumer psychology stands to influence the production of autonomous vehicles. And finally, we are joined by an insurance expert that specializes in autonomous vehicles. Who shares with us why tesla is offering its own car insurance policies to drivers in california and how insurance companies could influence the features of autonomous vehicles and the consumer psychology of whether or not to use autonomous vehicles this is all coming up in today's episode but first a reminder to subscribe to brain spike back wherever you get your podcasts including youtube to stay up to date with new episodes out every tuesday and if the topic of autonomous cars excites you then some previous episodes you should listen to are UFO technology, ancient civilizations, and unexplained mysteries, how AI is advancing surgery, and the episode you heard at the very start, building a more efficient, privacy-focused future with smart cities. So now let's get into today's episode. Our first guest is the senior editor for automotive technology site, Jalopnik and the author of Robot Take the Wheel, The Road to Autonomous Cars and The Lost Art of Driving, Jason Torchinski. He joins us to explain the different stages of autonomous driving, where we are now, and shares his opinion on Tesla's ability to realistically achieve complete autonomy in the near future.
2: There's five levels. These are not levels I came up with. The Society of Automotive Engineers, SAE, came up with these levels and they basically go, so one through five. So one is like the cars I drive. They don't even have automatic transmissions they're just everything's manual you're steering you're applying brake throttle whatever it's just a conventional car level two is where we are now that's like as far as like what kind of autonomous or semi-autonomous really i should say vehicle you can buy today the best you can get is level two And this is basically driver assist systems. So actually, you know, maybe I should add, there's a level 1.5. If we count cruise control, that's kind of like Mm -hmm. 1.5 because it handles the throttle. But modern cars that can have things like dynamic cruise, where it uses radar to basically adjust the distance between you and the car in front of you, lane keeping systems. And then in something like Tesla's autopilot or GM super cruise, where it can actually steer within, you know, the lanes of a road. This is a level two driver assist system. And while it appears like they do An awful lot. And they are. I'm not trying to minimize what they do technically because they're doing an incredible amount of very advanced, incredible work. They are fundamentally, the driver has to be ready to take over at any moment. That's why they all have those warnings. That's why Tesla makes you keep your hands on the steering wheel. And that's why GM's versions have a camera facing your face to make sure your eyes are on the road. You have to be alert and ready to take over with zero warning. If something fails, if a, you know, if you go through a big puddle and mud splashes on your, uh, you know, your radar transceivers or camera sensors or anything like that, then the system will shut down and you have to take over immediately. So the, that's, that's the crucial difference between le- goes from level two semi-autonomy to level three. Level three is very similar to level two, except it has some degree of controlled handoff or failover, meaning you don't have to be alert and ready to go to take over. If something goes wrong, the system can safely come to a stop or get out of the way. And you know, for level three, I believe it just has to kind of come safely to a stop. Honestly, I find it a little bit vague. Uh, level four is basically full autonomy, but in a constrained area, meaning it's like geo-fenced or there's certain roads it can go on where there maybe there's some infrastructure assisting it. So it's full autonomy. You can be asleep in the back. You can be watching a movie. You can be doing whatever you want, but it's only within a constrained area. And level five is the platonic ideal where it's basically you get in the cartel where you want to go and no matter where you are or what's going on, it'll handle everything. You don't have to do anything at all anywhere. That's basically the breakdown.
1: Awesome. I mean, level five is the dream. And I think you said that Elon Musk even mentioned that they were close to it. Would you be able to elaborate on your thoughts and feelings to this? Because it seems like that is a a distant future from the sounds of how technical and difficult it might be.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, look, Elon Musk, a brilliant guy, he's done a lot of amazing things, a lot of flaws there too. So it was, let's see, this was in the middle of last year, he was at a, uh, the World Artificial Intelligence Conference in Shanghai and Elon Musk remotely gave a uh, talk there. So
1: I, I, I'm extremely confident that level five or essentially complete autonomy will be with, uh, w- will happen and I think it will happen very quickly. Um, I think at Tesla, we, we, I feel like we're very close to level five autonomy.
2: And he also said there's, quote, no fundamental challenges, just many small problems. I think he is absolutely full of feces there. I do not think this is true at all. And I think, okay, the problem here is not that it's so much a technical thing, but they're doing a very good job, Tesla is, with the main part of driving, you know, keeping in the lanes, seeing things, moving around. But there's so many The little problems that he's talking about, those many small problems, are actually an incredibly big deal because Tesla has not, they've not demonstrated any kind of handoff or failover system at all, which means they're always gonna be level two. It doesn't matter how good or capable their system is at driving in normal things. If it comes to a point where it is requiring the driver to take over at a moment's notice, it is still a level two system And it is still not fully autonomous because that's why people get in wrecks when they're in Teslas and you see them sleeping at the wheel or watching a movie or something like that. And they're not able to take over when the system needs to. And Teslas, remember, the current hardware has no redundant sensor systems. It's got no ability to clean sensors or anything like that. It's not LIDAR based, it's only camera based. So for example, if you're driving, like in the South where I live in the summer, you can drive through flocks, like swarms of insects on a summer drive on, you know, in the road. It just happens and your windshield just gets covered with bugs. And you know, we're humans, we understand how this works, we expect it, we can use the windshield wipers or whatever and they smear around, but you can generally see enough to pull over and wash your windshield or whatever. If you have a small camera area that usually lives right, right behind where the rearview mirror is, it can have its vision, its field of vision, completely obscured by a couple insect strikes, and then the system's going to fail. You know, it's going to need you to take over. They don't currently have a way to handle details like that, that are everyday normal things. Mud splashes, weather, rain. You know, even, that's not even talking about possible technical failures and maintenance they're not ready. Hardware-wise, it's not ready. Maybe they could have redundant systems and sensor cleaning systems, but even then, we still need a, a method, a proven way to take over when the system feels compromised. It'd be like having a chauffeur who's an excellent driver, but is also a narcoleptic, and at any point, he might just fall asleep. How relaxed are you going to be in that car, even if 80, 90% of the time, he has no problems at all?
0: Yeah, so I pretty think,
1: worrying.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's... And that's what we're dealing with here. No matter how good their on-road behavior gets, until they have some kind of way to handle failover, you, the driver, has to remain alert and ready to take over. And that's not what people want, and it's also not what people are good at.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, and I definitely wouldn't feel comfortable riding in one of those cars with that. With that analogy, I think that's a quite a fair analogy. Now, obviously, we're on the show today to talk mostly about like Tesla. I know that's. Uh, what we spoke about before the call. Yeah. But um, I'd love to know, do you think that Tesla will be the leader in this space or are there other companies we should be looking at?
2: I mean, Tesla definitely has the mindshare. People think about Tesla when they think about autonomy right now. I do not think they're by any means the most advanced in this field. They are, especially from a sensor package perspective. They rely on cameras and a few, you know, ultrasonic sensors and radar sensors, but there's a lot of companies out there. There's like Argo and Waymo you know, there's a bunch of them that are working with LiDAR systems and much more advanced kind of sensor setups in their cars and GMs, crews. I mean, there's a lot of companies doing this stuff that I actually think are quieter and are, but are doing more advanced work. I think we're a ways off. Like Tesla's come very far in their level two stuff, but if we're still stuck at level two, it doesn't matter how good that level two is. And you can't, comfortably, no, I don't have to pay any attention at all. It doesn't matter. You know, the the issue here is if the car is doing a good job most of the time, and if it's handling 90 some odd percent of the task of driving, our ability to keep engaged and to remain attentive is minimal. This is called a vigilance task, and this has been understood for decades and decades. I'm not the only one who thinks this. A lot of people who study this type of research you know agree vigilance tasks are not something humans are good at in fact back in the 40s there was a guy named uh, Mackworth who did a study for the government. Uh, it was about vigilance during prolonged visual search, basically people watching like radar scopes and things like that. If you're given kind of like a boring task where this, an automated system is handling most of it, but someone has to be kind of checking in periodically, human beings are just terrible at this task. We're not good at keeping strict vigilance on things. We're gonna let things slide. And the task of being behind the wheel of an automated vehicle, like a level two autonomous, semi-autonomous vehicle that's handling most of the tasks, I don't think humans can be reliably counted to stay alert the entire time and ready to take over at a moment's notice. It's not a fair thing to ask of the person behind the wheel. And that's why I think the Tesla system is flawed and that's where all level two systems, not just Tesla, they're flawed and it's not a technological problem. It's a human problem. It's a psychological problem. It's just not a good match for how humans think. And I yeah. get a lot of Tesla stands very angry and they all like to accuse <laughs> me of standing in the way of progress and being a Luddite with blood on my hands. But the truth is, this is not a, it's not a good solution. We need handoff and failovers that actually work. And the problem is that's really hard to do. And it's not the sexy type of solution. A Tesla driving itself is exciting to watch and it sells cars and it looks amazing. A Tesla figuring out how to get off the road safely when it's compromised is something that nobody wants to watch it doesn't really sell cars you know it's it's not it's not the same kind of thing so effort is not really being put into it but in a way it's it's the most important thing that they can work on because it's the only thing that's going to take us past level two semi-autonomy
1: yeah it sounds like the current state we are in is basically normal driving but with added anxiety uh, Jason, if people want to get in touch with you or keep up with what you're doing, how can they do that?
2: Uh, jalopnik.com. I'm cranking out stories there every single day. Uh, I've also feel free to buy my book, Robot Take the Wheel. Uh, you can get you know, independent bookstores or Amazon or wherever you'd like. And um, you know, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and those things. But mostly, go to Jalopnik.
1: Our next guest is the Detroit-based managing editor of Automa Blog and Autovision News. He is also the host of Autosense Insights, a conference on autonomous driving that takes place three times a year, Carl Anthony. He joins us to shine some light on which countries are at the forefront of autonomous vehicle technology, the history and strengths of each country, and how they can work together to produce better autonomous vehicles beyond cars. He also explains how the psychology of how we perceive our vehicles and driving in general might influence the supply and demand of autonomous vehicles from car manufacturers.
0: I think that, you know, automatically you can look at some of the world's most industrious nations that have automotive manufacturing as a core component of their economy. I think you can pretty much consider that those nations will be involved in some way and in some sort. So the United States, for sure here in detroit where i live very much an automotive epicenter so you have ford and argo ai doing testing you've had general motors and Cruise do testing here and you have a huge base of of engineering and product development here in detroit that really that that really will set the tone for the rest of the united states now elsewhere here in in the u.s california and nevada have allowed autonomous testing in, in recent times here in Michigan, so just out of Detroit, so now statewide. Governor Gretchen Whitmer here has established what's, uh, what's called the, um, the Office of Mobility in Michigan. And Trevor Paul is his name, but Trevor Paul is our state's first chief mobility officer. And so that office, as I understand it, Sam, has been tasked with not just necessarily autonomous driving, but how do we make mobility More accessible to all citizens in Michigan for for the future. So you go from autonomous driving then into mobility and and access to, you know, what they would say, you know, mobility as a right or, or or, or things like that. I think that you can also Go to the southern United States and particularly like Lake Nona, Florida, Lake Nona, Florida is a really good example. Now I I have not been there. I, I hope to visit one day soon, but uh, Lake Nona is a, a cultural and a business hub, Sam. And so they have parks down there and they have hotels and they have restaurants, but a lot of their core economy down there, Lake Nona is, is near Orlando if, if, you, uh, if anybody needs a, a reference, but their core economy is really based on new mobility solutions and 5G technology. So there's, there, there's two companies down there uh, recently that were in the news, a company called Beep and then another company called Local Motors. And they're doing autonomous shuttle testing. The name of the shuttle is called OLLI, O-L-L-I. It's it's the local motor shuttle and then it has the beep technology on it. But they're running autonomous routes around Lake Nona, Florida. So if you live in that area, you can jump on an autonomous shuttle and you can go, go about your day, but those companies are collecting data as that is happening. And so they describe Lake Nona as a living lab. So at least in the United States, I think you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of these cities and states that are already invested in technology or they already have an automotive component to them. And I think you, you so I, I think you can safely say that the U.S. at some point, and just because we have a large consumer base that, that buys automobiles and we have a lot of cities that congestion is an issue. And one of the benefits that is proposed of autonomous cars is relieving congestion. Another benefit of autonomous cars that's been proposed is that they're safer and traffic accidents will reduce. And if you look at the data in the United States from organizations like NHTSA, from organizations like the National Safety Council, what you see is an epidemic on American roadways. Uh, On average, since 2016, we've had about 40,000 vehicle deaths on American roads. And so that has only increased during the pandemic as well. So you think even with less traffic and less cars on the road that that would drop the number of accidents, but it hasn't. And so the United States is a good use case for autonomous cars when you look at the proposed benefits. So I think that one nation for sure is the United states, but there 's other European nations too Sam. I think there 's a lot of activity in countries like Germany, for example uh, you have mercedes benz there and mercedes Benz is certainly a leader in this space, and they they have been a leader for generations mercedes Benz gave us things like crumple zones Bella Barini was the engineer for mercedes Benz who invented crumple zones. They did a lot of pioneering work with uh, a b s and with airbags and things like that, so Mercedes-Benz has, has a legacy of innovation, and of course they're based in Germany. I think that there's a lot of activity in Belgium, particularly because you, you have an innovation hub there in terms of, you know, LiDAR and machine vision and all of these other aspects that are important to what will become the modern day autonomous car. I think that you can also say that uh, a nation like Sweden, I would definitely rule them in, Sam, because Volvo, is based in Sweden and just looking at automotive history, Volvo's another one of those manufacturers that has, they have a lot of pioneering innovations like the seatbelt, for example, and Volvo has made it very clear that they want to be a mobility company in the future that wants to build safe and reliable cars. And in particular, they want to build and produce cars that have these next generation ADAS systems in them to make drivers safer. So I think you could say that Sweden as a nation is that, that you you will see them make a lot of important contributions to this because of Volvo. I think China as well. And if you look at what is happening in China, for example, with robo taxis, there, there's a lot with robo taxis happening right now in China, which is a very good use case and a very good proving ground for autonomous technology. Essentially ride hailing services, like you would get an Uber for example, but these ride hailing services that are autonomous. And the feedback so far from Chinese consumers has been very good on these services. And one of the big ones that's been in the news is AutoX. They have rolled out their robo-taxi services in major metropolitan areas across China there's another company called deep route and deep route has supplied a self driving kit a, a kit of technologies it's a it's a sensor suite it has navigation in it gps navigation it has lidar in it it has a number of proprietary sensors in it and deep route system is used on different robo taxis now throughout chinese metropolitan areas and then china is getting into automated trucking solutions as well, which is really which is really interesting. So Full Truck Alliance and Plus, Plus, which is an American company, and then Full Truck Alliance in China, they're on their way this year to delivering some automated trucking solutions to the market. And so these would be, as I understand them, Sam, ways to help a truck driver stay more alert behind the wheel, to help with some of the driving tasks, to help fleet managers when it comes to safety, when it comes to fuel economy. So these autonomous trucking applications you're seeing in China, I think will also play a role as well. And I think what may happen or or what I think would happen is that you have all of these experts working in different areas of the autonomous driving space. And some people are doing more traditional automobiles and some people are doing things like trucking, others are doing robo taxis. Some are doing things in warehouses and on docks and manufacturing settings. So, you know, can we take uh, an autonomous forklift, for example, and can we put safety technologies on a forklift to help and assist a forklift operator so they are safer as they go around the warehouse or they go around the dock? I think you can take all of these different use cases and all of these different situations. And I think that you can take that data and you can roll all of that together. And the hope would be that you would eventually have a safer car for any modern consumer, whether they were in China, whether they were in the United States or whether they were in Europe or they were elsewhere.
1: Hopefully you're enjoying the show. And if you are, make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. You can find us on all your usual podcast sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think, so be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite back wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Sort of this idea of where this is coming from, that in these future cities that humans won't be able to drive, its it's because right now, it looks like AI cars are just simply going to do a better job. If we could mitigate that and we could be better equipped behind the wheel and we could drive more responsibly, then the future intelligent connected city might look a lot different. But I think, Sam, it comes down to what is a future generation going to want? And this is maybe more of the economics look at it, the economics viewpoint but i think that future car buyers we don't know exactly what they're going to want and i think it will come down to what does a future generation what will a future generation think about cars and driving so if a future generation looks at it and they say clearly an ai vehicle is better an ai vehicle is better suited for the job then yes then automakers are going to shift focus and they're going to produce AI and connected and autonomous cars. If a future generation looks at cars and they go, you know what? I think driving is an interruption to my day. I think that it's mundane and it really doesn't interest me. Then, then yes, it's possible that maybe driving won't necessarily be illegal, but it will be certainly less popular. And there is some data out there. Harmon has conducted studies, the Experiences Per Mile Council is 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 the name of it, but they have conducted studies where younger buyers say they believe the car and driving is an interruption to their daily life. So they're connected at home, whether that's through their phone or whether that's through their laptop and computer. And when they get to their destination, wherever that may be, they're, they're exciting. But the middle point driving is they feel disconnected in that process. So if a future generation overwhelmingly says that's my viewpoint and I'm not interested in driving, then I do believe automakers will certainly shift focus. But on the other side, if you have a future generation and they're tired and they're busy and they feel overworked, they might enjoy a vehicle they can drive and take out for, for a Sunday drive they might view the car as an escape. And you have seen a lot of data that has come out, Volvo actually recently did a study about this at the end of 2020, that more consumers are seeing their cars now as a place to escape, as a place to find their sanity because they've been stuck at home during a pandemic. So if a future generation that's working from home says, I only feel like I can get out of the house and get any clarity when I go on an afternoon drive, then it's unlikely that automakers will produce AI cars and droves because it's just not what the market wants. So in some ways, I think the economics and what consumers really want will dictate that.
1: And if people want to keep up with uh, the work you're doing, obviously they can go to those publications, but do you want to mention them again or anywhere else they can follow you?
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. I would say that to just visit our websites, automoblog.net and autovision-news.com. Or if you do a Google search and type in Automoblog or AutoVision News, you can find us there. Um, and if you have any questions, just please write into the websites or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm just Carl Anthony on LinkedIn. My profile says Managing Editor, Automoblog, AutoVision News. I'm happy to answer any additional questions that you may have and just appreciate, uh, appreciate being on the show today, Sam.
1: Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you, Carl. For our final guest we are joined by an autonomous vehicle and insurance specialist that produces written content for the auto insurance comparison site autoinsurance.org melanie muson here she explains how autonomous vehicles might make certain personal details irrelevant for car insurance companies why manual driving could become unaffordable for the majority of drivers and how car insurance companies stand to influence the psychology of consumers
3: have to start with what traditional car insurance is. And with traditional car insurance, your premiums are based on your, the driver's risk factors. And that makes sense because 90% of crashes on the road are attributed to driver error. So it is logical that they would take information from the driver, and use that to formulate rates. And insurance companies are in the business of making money, obviously. They wouldn't be able to offer you policies if they weren't. And they use actuaries who take statistics, driving information, personal information, and they mix it all together and pull out a premium. Not really. (laughs) They have a reason for what they do, but they use all that information, and that's how you get your premium. So your driving history is a big indication of your future risk. If you've had a speeding ticket in the past, or you have caused a crash in the past, or you have driven under the influence in the past, statistics say you are more likely to do that again than somebody who has never had those kind of driving behaviors. So insurance companies will charge you higher premiums to make up for your higher risk. And that makes sense. All that driving history... Well, insurance companies also use other factors that don't always make sense to the public. But if if they can show there's a statistical correlation between a personal factor and your risk of filing a claim, then they can use that information to affect your premium. So they'll use your age, your experience, Even where you live, neighborhoods with higher crime rates usually have higher car insurance rates than even adjacent areas with lower crime rates. People who live in cities with higher traffic volume pay higher premiums than people living in rural areas. Because the more vehicles that are on the road, the more chance you have of getting into an incident with one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's surprising to a lot of people that your credit score also makes a big difference in your rates. Some states have banned the use of using credit rating in premium formulation, but most states allow the practice. And so your credit score makes a difference in your rates. Now, when we look at autonomous vehicles and insurance, autonomous vehicles are turning the insurance world up, the car insurance world upside down because with an autonomous vehicle, it would be ridiculous to hold a vehicle owner liable for what their vehicle does when they have no control over it. So that changes insurance for vehicles, for autonomous vehicles, greatly.
1: I have to say, I didn't even consider that. I I suppose all the factors you mentioned beforehand, like whether or not someone's driven under the influence, their credit card uh, score rating, that would almost be irrelevant, would you say, if the person was to own and be using an autonomous vehicle? Because it wouldn't really factor in is that correct in thinking that
3: that is absolutely correct that is what, that's what i'm saying it you can't hold a owner liable for something that they are not controlling you can't hold their personal information against them because it doesn't matter the vehicle doesn't care who's in the car so who who is going to carry the liability insurance we don't know a lot of people have different opinions probably the car manufacturers or the technology manufacturers will have to carry the liability if something happens with one of their vehicles, if it causes a crash, if it causes damage, but we, we don't know. But we do know, I mean, I am very sure that the vehicle owner can't be held responsible for a crash that an autonomous vehicle causes because the vehicle is not under their control. And kind of along those lines, I say vehicle owner to make a comparison to a traditional driver, but I don't even know if people are going to be owning autonomous vehicles. It may be a A subscription, a rental. I don't know. But I say vehicle owner to make that comparison. But really, like we there's just so much we don't know. Yeah, we can't see, we can't say, like, well, this is how they're doing it and this is how they're working through it because they're they're not on the road. So we don't know. It's all just guessing what's gonna happen. So we have to imagine. There will be some insurance necessary for the vehicle owner. So comprehensive insurance covers damage that's not related to crashes. So if your car gets hail damage or a tree branch falls on it, if it gets stolen, if it is vandalized, all of those events are covered by comprehensive insurance. And so I would foresee that even autonomous vehicle owners would need a comprehensive car insurance policy.
1: You've also given me a funny thought there. Though. I wonder what car theft is going to look like with autonomous vehicles. Like they just break into the vehicle and they're like, I'm your new owner, drive for me. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs>
3: And I'm sure the uh, manufacturers are thinking through that exact same scenario and trying to think of ways that that will not happen because, yeah, it's just a whole lot of new and unknown.
1: Yeah. Exciting times. Now, can you share with our listeners how car insurance companies might influence the psychology of consumers and the technology produced by car manufacturers?
3: So we can look at how insurance companies are handling the autonomous features in vehicles right now, like the automatic brake assist, the lane keeping assist, all those individual features that are autonomous while the vehicle itself is not autonomous. And you would think that with those safety features, improving the safety of the driving experience that the car insurance rates would plummet, but that's not happening. And a lot of that reason for that is the cost of the technology. The sensors on the cars, the cameras on the vehicles, they are so expensive. And so even though the risk of accident is lower, the cost of an accident is higher. And so insurance rates for those autonomous features have not really been affected. Now, Tesla is not satisfied with the way insurance companies are handling their vehicles. And so they are offering their own insurance policies to Tesla owners in California. And they're claiming that it would help save owners 30% over traditional, over their competition of car insurance providers. And Tesla claims it's because they know how much their safety features will decrease the risk. So autonomous vehicle manufacturers are confident that their safety features will greatly reduce the risk of crash crashes. And if that is proven true, people won't be making claims and there won't be those liability losses. In addition to that, typically as technology moves forward, it gets cheaper. And so if those cameras and sensors become cheaper, then the cost of insurance should decrease. So when you couple that, the increased safety for the features and the fact that people probably won't even need liability insurance, you can imagine that owners of autonomous vehicles in the future will be paying very minimally for insurance. Now let's look at the holdouts. So there are uh, there is a whole group of people that, and maybe the majority, that the thought of an autonomous vehicle driving them around town is scary. They don't want any part of it. And they are going to be holdouts. They're not going to want to drive an autonomous vehicle. And so how could insurance companies help sway them? As we talked about before, there are obvious factors that make a difference in insurance rates.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But then there are the less obvious factors like credit score and where you live. And insurance companies have to prove a correlation, but sometimes when you want to prove a correlation, you can find the evidence to back that up. So if insurance companies decide that autonomous is where they want vehicles to go. That is what they're supporting. They really have a lot of sway. It's already been demonstrated that the safety features in a vehicle that insurance offers discounts for are much more popular. They're more desirable. People want those. And so when something is more desirable, then that is what the car manufacturers make sure is put into every vehicle so they have that sway there they have and they could easily say you know what we're not going to cover that safety feature and then guess what nobody's gonna no manufacturer's gonna put that in their car because people wouldn't be able to get insurance for it so they do have this sway and if they decided to push on the autonomous vehicle side then they could look at the people that are holdouts that want to drive a traditional vehicle and not an autonomous vehicle as hazardous wild cards <laughs> that they don't want on the road and it's already going to be a difference in risk if the autonomous vehicles really are as safe as predicted and people aren't having to pay for liability insurance so already there's going to be a difference in insurance premiums well now you add that standard vehicle operators are a much higher risk for causing accidents their car insurance rates could really skyrocket and money has a huge sway in everything people do. And so if insurance companies make the rates so high for typical standard traditional vehicle owners, then that could sway people. Also, they may just say, we are not providing insurance. We don't, we're not providing that kind of insurance anymore. Mm. And then once again, that is a, you would take a huge financial risk to get on the road. Because an, if you cause an accident, now you're responsible for that liability and you, your finances could be ruined for the rest of your life. So insurance companies do have the possibility, I'm not saying that they, that they will or that any of this will happen, but they have the possibility to sway people towards autonomous vehicles.
1: Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think that possibly in the future, driving manually like we all do today, could be seen as some kind of like vintage luxury that only rich people can do. Melanie, if people want to keep up with what you're doing and the work you're focusing on, uh, do you have social media or is there a website they can go to?
3: So autoinsurance.org, I have some articles on there. I have a LinkedIn profile. And I believe autoinsurance.org has a Twitter and probably a Facebook profile.
1: Awesome. Excellent. Well, I didn't, didn't expect to go down this rabbit hole when entering this topic, but it's been a fun perspective to, to analyze. So thank you for joining me today.
3: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Growing a company has many hurdles from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search. Each business challenge is uniquely complex, The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that is where our sponsor Publicize comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies, it doesn't charge large retainers or churns out press releases whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds your business's online presence and gets high-quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bike Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash bbb. That's publicize.co slash bbb. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.